another edition of the Romantic About Baseball podcast, uh, joined as always by my co-host Jim Passon Jr. Jim? Hey, good evening. And also joining us today, our very special guest, Mr. John Becker from Roster Resource. John, how are you? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to. And uh, we're going to we're going to get to our, our main event here in a minute. Uh, the uh, our NL Central NL Central preview. And I uh, wanted to talk about the um, the Astros uh, sign stealing scandal. But before we get into all of this, John, I kind of wanted to fill our listeners in on who you are. And what and what brings you to our house? Um, so yeah, I'm John. I am currently a junior at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Um, the better uh, university with Miami in its name, I might add. I'll um, I'll, I'll I'll second that. Um, I've been at Roster Resource for eight years or something ridiculous like that. Um, my main domain is working with. Um, team payrolls and just making sure that all of the roster projections are are as accurate as possible. Um, bouncing feedback off of, of Jason Martinez, who who kind of runs the show, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the off season, every off season, and um, the NL Central is probably um, the the division that I pay attention to even more than any others since since I've grown up a Cubs fan and I'm from Chicago. Fabulous. Well, I mean, I got to tell you, we Jim and I both reference your work uh, over at Roster Resource, and you know, now I think it's a it's a part of FanGraphs, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It is. Yeah, as of the All Star break ish, it is now a part of FanGraphs, which is awesome because you can now click on a player name, and it just takes you to their FanGraphs page. Um, and the amount of stuff that that has just been added on has just been amazing, and it's just so much more user friendly than it used to be. That's oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it it was already a great site. Now, yeah, user friendly. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's well set up. One of the Bravo Fangraphs, Bravo Roster Resource. This is yeah, yeah. If you haven't tried it out, you got to get over and check it out. That's for darn sure. I, I agree with that. It's it's you know one of those industry standard type of reference sites. So very appreciative of the work that everybody does over there. So no, it's easy to navigate. Oh man, it's yeah, absolutely. Top-notch. So, um, all right. So let's let's just dive into this here. Um, you know, John, just just nutshell this for me. You know, uh, you're a you're an active guy on on the social medias. Um, what what how do you feel about all this? Like, is this really as big a deal? Are are we? Is this as big a deal as we're making it out to be? I think it is, and I think it continues to become a bigger and bigger deal as it goes on because it seems like every day there's new. Um, details being reported. For example, today it was reported that they're widening the scope from the 2017 Astros to also include the 2018 and 2019 Astros. 
And and I think it's especially a big deal because the Astros were since 2017, really, if you want to extend that before that into 2015, 16, when they, when they started getting good kind of as the pinnacle of what a baseball team and a baseball front office should be in terms of how they were run with such a level of efficiency but in the span of, of literally two, three months, that's all come crashing down first with the, you know, acquisition of Roberto Zuna. If you want to go back to last year, then the Brandon Taubman incident with Roberto, uh, Roberto Zuna getting Taubman fired. And then all of this sign stealing fallout, just, you know, the entire organization has, has gone from being the model organization to most fans to, to kind of the, the new evil empire replacing the Yankees. Right. There's a, there's a level of, and that's, I think what I can't shake. I think it was, it was Meg Crowley of, of fan graphs that actually sort of summed it up for me. Like, you know, it, it would be one thing if there was like a, if there was like a charming element to all of this. If it was just like, you know, they, there was some sort of, you, you wanted, you almost want to award them for some kind of ingenuity or, or something in that ilk. But instead it just, it feels so bad. Like, just so malicious. Yeah, I mean, in, in isolation, if this had been the only thing that happened, it's funny. Right. I mean, banging on trash cans to steal signs, you know, being the most technologically forward organization out there is just funny. But the fact that this is just a continuation of everything that's engulfed the organization for a year and a half just kind of makes it so much more sinister than it would be if it had happened with any other team at any other time. Right, and, and you know, to cite another of uh, another podcaster, uh, Ben Lindbergh and um, uh, Sam Miller debate on effectively wild has spent an episode kind of debating the validity of it. Um, and Ben Lindbergh came to the conclusion that statistically it didn't really make a difference. But but Jim, being from a statist, is there any sort of statistical validity to any of this? Like, is there are there numbers backing this up? I mean, there are some out there that people are putting together, but I mean, it's also, it's so hard to put numbers to it, right? Um, when you look at the rosters from like 2015, 2016, and then jump to 2017, 2018, just looking at it feels like it's different teams, right? So it almost feels like they're jumping OPS plus for a team is, is justifiable just by the type of players that they have, not from, say, this scandal or this this cheating that's going on right it doesn't it's really hard to get them to be tied together um i think the biggest thing ends up basically being is just their success that they've had i mean what are they on three 100 win seasons in a row now um that's if you if you got the same scandal with you know um somebody like the White Sox or somebody like uh, the Marlins or something like that. The, the, imagine the jokes, the memes and everything else about how terrible an idea and how they just they're not any good at it. Right. But you're doing it with one of the most successful teams, if not the most successful team of the last three years. So um, I think that's the statistic that gets me is just the amount of wins that they have. Um, but I mean, you look at the team on the road. Uh, if they don't have the the gear that they're talking about, the team looks good on the road, especially somebody like Altuve who just drives the ball like crazy on the road. So it's really hard to back it up with statistics, except for the fact that they they seem to win, and that's the statistic that counts the most. I I wonder is this one of those things like you know coming at it from another angle like you know we don't have time to unpack all of the angles of this but like john i'd be interested to hear what you think about it and just in the sense of you know 
is sign is it that like the, like Jim was saying the team's good enough on its own merit is it that big of a deal when you think about like if this was a middling team or if this was like the Cardinals let's say the Cardinals did this okay like the definition of average if they did this and they got an edge would this be any different or is this just a good team being a little bit better yeah, I mean, like I said before, I think it, I think it would be different. I think it would still be something the league would definitely crack down on pretty strongly. Um, but you know, again, this is just kind of showing that the Astros, despite being the best at just about everything, it, it's just a little bit rightfully infuriating to every other team. Um, you know, regardless to what degree that they're also doing it as well, that that the best team in baseball would cheat to just get a little bit better and maybe not even better at all. Right, and that that leads me into my next thought: is okay. We've the the sweater is being sort of unraveled. Is should other teams be careful what they wish for if the astro if we're going to make an example of the Astros? Like, is this one of those? Are they going to drag some other folks down with us down with them? Yeah, the quietest teams right now might be the ones speaking the loudest volume right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I personally would be surprised if any other team has done it to the degree that the Astros did or have. Sure. Um, but I would also be surprised if the Astros were, you know, the only team who wasn't being completely clean about this. Um, so, you know, it is a give and take of they absolutely have to crack down on the Astros and they're going to crack down on the Astros because they have very concrete evidence against them, it seems. And right. it, you know, the, the the stronger they punish them, the greater deterrent it will be to the other 29 teams to, to cut it the heck out. Sure. Now, do you think, you know, the, the other sort of far reaching implications here, like, you know, do you think this um, do you think this has any implications towards, you know, how does this affect A.J. Hinch? How does this affect Carlos Beltran, who was a player during this time? How do you think this affects, you know, former bench coach, you know, Alex Cora? It, who also, by the way, was it, was he there during the Apple Watch, or that was pre Cora? Uh, Cora was, was if he? I'm remembering correctly, it was not. I think it was 2017 that that okay Red Sox Apple Watch thing happened. Right. Okay. And I also think that that was something that upper level people were not aware about and were very annoyed by and told you know whoever was. A part of it to not do that. Not do um, that, yeah. I, I don't know if it was ever even proven what the Red Sox intent was. It was just that they, you know, you can't have Apple Watches connected to the internet in the dugout. Um, but yeah, as as for, you know, the uniform personnel who could be implicated in this for having been with the Astros at the time, I, I think it would be pretty difficult to parse who exactly was involved in uniform to a point where they could suspend Hinch for a very long time. Um, you know, even though it's very likely and we can infer that he knew about it and he knew about it very much for a very long time. Um, you know, unless they can, can get some concrete evidence, like they'll probably get against um, front office executives via emails and things like that, that have already been leaked. 
Sure. Um, I, I, I don't think Beltran or Cora or, or even Hinch has to worry all that much, if anyone Hinch. Right. Uh, let, let me ask you guys an impossible question to do in just a yes-no, but I'm going to do it anyway um, to sort of put a bow on, on this. You know, it was said, uh, you know, 1951, all right? Bobby Thompson shot her around the world. Pretty, it has been, you know, sort of debated or even proven to an extent of a sign steal, a sophisticated sign stealing uh, method that was going on at that time. Now, and we look back on it, and because of the lack of technology and and how it had to be implemented, um, it, it's almost like we we look at it. I wouldn't say fondly, but we do kind of look at it as a form of gamesmanship in a way. It's it's looked at within a different context than say now. In fifty years. With the advance of technology and things like that, and I put this question to both of you in a simple yes/no format. Do you think that this will get will be looked back on in the same sort of specific contextual light that, say, the Bobby Thompson incident was? I'd say no. I I, uh, I, I, I would say no. Um, yeah, just, just to leave it as a one-word answer, no. Yeah. yeah, I I think it disappears. I think they change the system. I think sign sealing goes away once they go to a different system where you don't have to flash fingers to get it taken care of, and this just disappears and walks away. Okay. Now, actually, I tend to agree with you guys. I I feel like there's there's such a level of of nefariousness with all of this that I kind of feel like you know I don't I don't think there's going to be anything we're not going to look back on this in in half a century and think oh well you know they were just they were just gaming the system it's, I feel like it's always going to be looked at in this sort of negative light so right I'm going to I'm going to get on my iPhone right now though and I'm setting a reminder for 50 years from today to start begging <laughs> on garbage cans but, that, that's right uh, we're good fabulous all right so um that we're gonna we're gonna have to leave it there in some ways although there's just we could spend a whole episode on it um no yeah <laughs> yeah we don't really now that we want to we just could uh we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for a minute we're, we're gonna take a break when we come back we're going to uh begin our nl central preview And we're back. Uh, well, welcome back. We are with uh, John Becker from Roster Resource, and uh, we're going to uh, run down the National League Central. If you had uh, basically made me bet on which division would be won with the least amount of wins, it would not have been this one, but it only took 91 <laughs> wins to take down the division. So um, let's let's run it down and uh, reevaluate here. So um, we're going to start with the St. Louis Cardinals. And, uh, you know, on my immediate needs, seems like a team that is going to be in search of starting pitching and, a th- and third base. And I'm starting with this team really just to get them out of the way, because this has got to be the hardest team to read, I think, I, in all of baseball right now. Um, John, John what are you, what's, your, what's your beat on the Cardinals? I mean, by all accounts... They're going to do almost nothing this offseason, which is pretty amazing to say for a team that A, won its division, and B, barely won its division. Um, I think that they really believe that Matt Carpenter can bounce back and, and be the third baseman 
you know, the, the steady third baseman that he has been in the past. And if not, they have Tommy Edmund to fall back on. Um, and with Adam Wainwright coming back, um, that's four rotation spots locked down. And they might think Carlos Martinez can move back from the bullpen to the rotation or Daniel Ponce de Leon can hold down a spot or Alex Reyes can finally get healthy and consistent. Um, and that's not to say they'll do absolutely nothing, but um, they're tough to read in that they only have probably 10 to $15 million of payroll flexibility, whatever that means, tops. Um, and by payroll flexibility, I mean they will only choose to spend that much. Um you know, and, and how they spread that money around remains to be seen. But obviously, they're not going to be in the market for Cole or, or Rundown or Strasburg, um, or even so. Yeah, like, he, yeah, even like someone like a middle middling player, I would think. Um, you know, it, it, tell me, you know, and Jim, uh, you you may have some numbers on this. I just ran down real quick. You know, it, it, for me, it's the aging stars. For me, it's the and it's the under you know Dexter Fowler sixteen and a half million dollars next year ninety eight OPS plus, uh, not a good fielder. Uh, Yadi Molina twenty million dollars next year. If you had told me Yadi Molina Yadi Molina was worth twenty million dollars, I don't know that I'd believe you. Uh, Eighty five OPS plus last year, going into his age thirty seven season, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Matt Carpenter, like you, like you were saying, does he rebound? Um, Jim, what do you have a what do you have on their current roster here? Because it seems like that's what they're rolling with. I mean, I, is this not the team that uh, when I'm sitting there doing stats on Twitter that people are like, you can't put a number on heart, right? You can't put a number on a team effort, right? The Cardinal way. It, it's yeah. It feels a little bit like that. It's a mixture of say you know, older players. Um, People eh, that aren't that great, but are approaching their their greater years. The Colton Wongs and the Paul DeJongs are getting to that point where they're reaching their prime. And eh, are they really superstars in their prime? It seems like there's just a, a team filled with role players to me, um, and, and I'm all right with that. It's 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 a solid squad. Um, there was only two teams last year that even had uh, four guys on their starting staff that. Uh, accumulated 170 innings pitched. Uh, Cardinals were one of those two teams. The Cubs were the other. So with the bullpen that they got, the uh, strength of basically just innings eaters at the at the starting uh, starting pitcher position, I mean, you know, yeah. They might not have much money to play with, but, I mean, they're really not, they're not really losing much, are they? I mean, Marcelo Zuna... Right. But, you know, do you think, um, um, John, do you think uh, on that note, do you think that someone like a Nick Castellanos would be a, a, or a decent replacement for, or like would be something they would look for as a replacement uh, for Ozuna and some protection in the middle of that lineup? Yeah, I mean, looking at the middle of their lineup right now, I, I think that there's reason to believe that Paul Goldschmidt's going to be really good again. He had, he was much better in the second half than the first half. He'll be settled into St. Louis um, you know, he's on the back end of his prime at best, but um, he's always been really consistent. But, you know, and then you've got DeYoung, who who was much better in the first half and the second half. Carpenter and Molina, 5-6, who neither of them were good last year. So, I mean, yeah, someone like Castellanos or just bringing Ozuna back um, would be an important stabilizer to the middle of the lineup. Because as constructed right now without Ozuna, it's really not going to cut it. And that's... You know, that's assuming that Jack Flaherty continues to be really good and Adam Wainwright continues to 
you know, pitch solidly in Dakota Hudson, gets a ton of ground balls again, and, and so on. Right. Yeah, if they're not out finding a, a free agent uh, outfielder, I mean, really, what do they do? They have something in the minor leagues that they can bring in, uh, Dylan Carlson or something to that effect that would even fit right away, or are they too far away down there? Yeah, I mean, right now, outside of Fowler, they're probably just kind of going to cobble together the rest of the outfield. So Bader and, and Jose Martinez and Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill and, and Carlson eventually and Lane Thomas. And they have a, you know, as always, they have a million young, toolsy outfielders who might not hit enough. And right now, I think they need guys who can hit enough. Um, prioritizing that over defense, at least as the roster is currently constructed. Yeah, this was a team who finished uh, 15th in uh, offense per fan graphs and third in defense. So, I mean, you got to figure that. I, I agree with you guys. I think the, the investment has to go to – that's Castellanos would be a guy that you could eat the defensive liability for the protection in the lineup, I would think. Um, all right, so move, yeah, I mean, moving on to the uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, um, you know, I just I, in my notes, I literally just have big letters: immediate need, starting pitching. Uh, and uh, to me, uh, you know, we all know they don't want to spend a lot of money. They uh, really, uh, they are twenty first in committed payroll. They, you'd think they would want to go with somebody who could eat up innings, and I think Julio Tehran's a perfect fit for the Brewers. Um, despite his long ball troubles, I think he could eat innings. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, gosh, yeah, that's perfect. Like I was saying about the Cardinals, right? They had four pitchers with 170-plus innings pitch. The Brewers are the only National League team that didn't even have anybody qualify for the ERA title. They could use the, they could use the innings eaters. I mean, they don't even need great innings eaters. The ones that were trying to eat the innings last year weren't that good, and it still was a pretty solid effort with that bullpen. So, uh, yeah, if they can get somebody like Tehran, that seems like a perfect fit for me, even if they can get maybe Gio Gonzalez back and maybe get him in, in a position where he's eating innings again. That could that could help out too. Right. What do you think, John? Yeah, I think they've, you know, they've continued to blur the line between who's a starting pitcher and who's a reliever. They had a few outings towards the end of the year, for example, where Gio Gonzalez came in relief of Brandon Woodruff, who had not been built back up to a full starters pitch count. Um, so, you know, it might be less about innings for them than it is about just quality performance. Obviously, they don't want Josh Hader's arm to fall off. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I, I don't see them being in for, for Bumgarner and Wheeler and Ryu, of course, and, and probably not for Keuchel or, or Cole Hamels either just because of how much money they'll cost. But, yeah, someone from that middle tier of Tehran, Pineda, Porcello, Gibson, Rourke, Miley, um, you know, someone like that who you're pretty confident will give you 150-plus innings and probably 150-plus pretty good innings. Um, and, I, and I think they would prefer someone who can who can keep the ball on the ground, but... Um, you know, ultimately, it's about just getting the best performance you can get, and if if that comes with giving up twenty five home runs, then so be it. Right? Do Do you feel? I, I kind of get the impression, like you know, it, I keep thinking back to when the Brewers got like CC Sabathia. You know, like they 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 there's a track record of just waiting until they feel like they're in it, and then they just they surprise you. So, do do you feel like there's any potential that we could see the Brewers kind of 
go outside of character. They, they, they feel like they're, they've got Christian Yelich. They feel like they've got, you know, Keston Hira that has like huge upside. Um, do, do you feel like this is a team that could possibly be a surprise uh, off-season winner? Like maybe they splurge on a Madison Bumgarner or they splurge on a Zach Wheeler. I'm not talking Garrett Cole, but something in that lower upper tier. Yeah, I mean they've got about thirty, thirty-five million before hitting their their twenty nineteen payroll, which was a team record, um, and that's before they presumably non-tender Travis Shaw, who's due to make about five million, and maybe some other guys. Um, so yeah, someone in that Wheeler tier would not be completely out of the ordinary. Um, I think it's also possible they would look to make a trade splash. Their farm system is not as good as it used to be, um, but you know, they could still maybe soon a trade, um, you know, probably not for say Francisco Lindor. They probably don't have the prospect package for that, but, um, you know, someone else who's on the market who, you know, who, whose name we probably haven't even heard yet, who can help with that left side of the infield, because right now it's Travis Shaw and Orlando Arcia, who did not exactly hit like big league quality players right. uh, in 2019. <laughs> right. I agree. Jim, what do you, th- what do you, what's yeah. your read on the Brewers? Oh man, uh, I I don't know. It's uh, it almost feels like the Cardinals all over again. Um, it's just one of those teams that it's hard to really get a feel for. You got you know aging Ryan Braun out there. Uh, I mean, I I prefer him over the Cardinals myself. Uh, yeah, I like Lorenzo Cain. Um, I think the potential's there. I yeah, if they can put the pieces together, but. You know, putting the pieces together is uh, John's describing it, where you've got to go out package and, and and make a trade instead of working the free agent market or just taking guys that you can develop. If you don't have those other two options and you're out there, you're going to have to make a, a big trade uh, out there to make it happen. Sure feels like that's a long shot, just just the way that, I, that you see the last couple off seasons play out. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, this this uh, NL Central is yeah. It's up for grabs. It kind of feels like they they leaned so hard on their bullpen. You know, I think I I wrote, you know, it used to be if you're going to beat the Brewers, you better do it before the fifth. Um, It it sort of felt like that this year. It it wasn't – they're just relying so much on their bullpen that – you know, it's kind of the antithesis to what you see out there right now, but it may not be a winning formula next year. Um, But, you know, this it's hard to say – so, yeah, the Brewers, a, who knows, you know? Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of bullpenning. I mean, for me, it's a, it, it's a strategy that works. It's just being able to get them to hold up without falling apart. But if they can get some help, uh, if, you know, that's it, Corey Knable, right? If he can get back at some point next year, because um, I believe he'll be out until, I believe it's May or June this year for Tommy John, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, if he can come back and be effective and jump in with that group of lefties and righties out in the bullpen, you know, anything can happen there, especially with a 26-man roster. I agree. Um, all right, uh, John, this is, this is your time to shine. The Chicago <laughs> Cubs, the team that lost 11 games from uh, from their 2018 to 2019 record. Um, this is probably the most intriguing team in this division. Well, I, I'm going to stop short. It's the most intriguing team in terms of not what's what could be incoming, but what could be outgoing. So right. what, what's your read on what's going on in, in Chicago? It 
is pretty clear to me that they're going to do whatever they can to stay under the luxury tax, which for 2020 is 208 million. Right now they're 10 million over. I think it's possible that they are willing to just not go up to the highest level, which would be 248 million, but would be fine being below that second level of 228 million, even if they're over 208. So, you know, there, there's, there's room there. Um, but obviously they don't have a ton of money to spend. They're not, or, well, they do have a ton of money to spend. They're just not going to spend it. Uh, the rickets are worth, you know, $2 billion. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's very obvious looking at their roster that they have a lot of really good players and a lot of guys that are going to get way too much playing time and are not going to put up the numbers that you would like anyone to put up for a contending team. Sure. Can, um, can, know, I, can, ultimately I, it's a, can I comment? Because this is what you just hit the nail on the head for me. Because when you're paying Jason Hayward $23.5 million, you're playing you Darvish $22 million, John Lester $20 million. And then you've got the uncertainty around Chris Bryant. Uh, that, to me, is, is what's you, you, what you're talking about, with, especially right at the top with Jason Hayward. Right. And, and you know, I, I think it's less, to me at least, it's less about Jason Hayward even specifically and more about, okay, like they, you know, that's 10% of their payroll-ish tied up in Jason Hayward and he is not produced. But even if he had been producing, he's still taking up the same amount of your payroll. And even if he had been producing really well, they probably still missed the playoffs. So it becomes an offseason of reckoning of, okay, you know, who's held accountable? Who do you trade? Who do you not trade? Um, I, I don't think they have to trade anyone, but if they're not willing to spend money at the same time, it's pretty hard to see this team much better than the 84 wins it, it had um, as currently constructed. So, you know, that opens up a whole can of worms of do you trade Bryant, do you trade Contreras, do you trade Schwarber, um, and so on. So you, you're you're down the road of with what they're trying to do with cap space and everything. You're you're are you, do you feel like their window is closing to have a chance to make one more run at, at a championship with what they've got, or do you feel like it's already closed? I think it is closing, given that they don't seem willing to open up the wallets again and whether that's justified or not i don't know i haven't seen their books nobody's seen their books um but you know you look at the roster and you see a lot of talent but you also see a lot of holes and if they're not going to fill those holes then, then yeah the window's just going to keep closing and probably as soon as after 2021 when anthony rizzo becomes a free agent if he leaves after 2021 when chris Bryant becomes a free agent if he leaves um you know that window probably slams shut yeah, and you got Baez, Schwarber on that same schedule too, heading out after just two more years. So, it seems like a team that it seems like a team to me, just from the outside looking in, that seems like sort of. I I wrote something last off season talking about like a tear down on deck. It seems like a team that when you look around the the rising national you know, like the national league east when you look at the dodgers when you look at these teams that are built to contend like foundationally um, the the cubs really do it's i don't know why they just feel older than they are 
And do, do you think that's going to contribute to, like, for example, in the world of, like, trading Contreras, trading Bryant, trading Rizzo, like, all these guys are, are going to be free agents. Do they go for the t player with the most value? Or do they go for the player that's the easiest to digest in a move? I think that if they decide that they can still contend or pseudo contend without Chris Bryant, who has the most value, they'll trade Chris Bryant. Now that that's provided that the return justifies that obviously. Um, but also I think they know that the value that Anthony Rizzo has to the team, to the clubhouse, to the city of Chicago, the value that Javier Baez has to, you know, a lot of Latino fans um, probably outstrips that of what they could get back in a trade for them. And I think that's why that, that Rizzo and, and Baez are probably going to stay put. But guys like Contreras and, and Bryant, who are both very good players, but um, I would say are not quite on the same level of, of foundational as um, – Bryant as uh, Rizzo and Baez, at least over the past couple of years, um, you know they could be more susceptible to being traded. Sure, I, I could agree with that. I I see that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if people are going to. Uh, yeah, with the Bryant situation, do you think that relationship is kind of soured to the point where not only is he the player with the best value, but is he the player that seems the easiest to to move right now because of that situation? I mean, I don't think it's soured. I think that it's just an odd situation because it happened four years ago. I'm sure he and, and especially Scott Boris were annoyed at the time, but you know, now he's been their best player for four years. And to that effect, you know, it, it's not water under the bridge, obviously, because the grievance is being heard this off season. Um, right. And I think that's almost wrapped up, but um, I don't think that the relationship is sour by any means. And, and Boris has said as much too. You know, the point where I don't think the Cubs feel like they have to trade him. I don't think they're even shopping him. But if someone, you know, blows down their door with an offer, then they'll have to strongly consider it. Interesting. All right. Um, any Jim? Any last thoughts on the Cubs? No, they're they're on pace uh, to uh, keep up with how often they win World Series. They'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. I, I mean, I that's the one thing I think when I when I when I look at what the Cubs and where they're at, it does seem like you know yeah, it's basically they're coming due for what they did to get the World Series that they won in 2016, and. Eh. Who could blame them? I would, I would hope my team would do the same thing. Which is so funny, too, man. The, the whole thing was the rebuild, right? But then you look at the sort of – does it seem and, – and, John, maybe you can comment on this more, but, like, it, if, the, if there was a rebuild, it didn't seem – it feels like the window opened and then started to sort of close very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and, and sustained success is really, really hard. And ultimately, from 2015 through uh, last year, 18, going, you know, losing in the NLCS, winning the World Series, 
losing in the NLCS, losing the wild card game. I mean, that's a pretty good four year run. There was a lot of heartbreak in there, especially, you know, losing the wild card game. I'm a Braves after, fan. You don't have to tell me about postseason heartbreak. <laughs> after, after, you know, after they could have won the, the division, they then lost a wild card game a few days later. But, you know, I mean, that's a really darn good four year run. And, True. you know, not everyone can be the late 90s Yankees or, or the Braves of the 1990s as a whole, where you're just constantly winning 90 plus games. And I think with their competitive landscape as is right now, where there's a lot of really good teams and a lot of really bad teams. Right. Um, it's even harder for one team to pull away. Very, very yeah. true. I agree. Yeah, the Mariners fans would take that type of heartbreak. I guarantee it. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, they're says, that. says the Yankees fan quietly from the corner. Hey, yeah, uh, I understand where I've been. That's for sure <laughs> as a fan from there. But living out in the Seattle area, you got you got people that if the Mariners even if the Mariners could magically make the postseason next year, there's still people that never saw the Mariners make the postseason that'll be able to vote before that happens. Yeah. So. Right. They're it's been not. A while. They're not the Indians, right? Um, yeah. All right. So the. Um, all right. So the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, th- this is my favorite team a- in this division, and I'm not saying because I'm a Reds fan, but because it, it was they were, in my opinion, like coming out of the off season. I it, I would have think, man, the Reds like really had a killer off season, and the, it just. They had a plus run differential, I think, like all the way up to the end of the season. And there were obvious issues. You know, Jesse Winker had, a, by most accounts, an off year. Uh, Joey Votto had a tough year. Um, they were just anemic offensively. Um, you know, for me, the, the immediate needs are middle infield, corner outfield, and in the bullpen. But, um, you know, I would think the the thing, the MLBTR linked uh, Didi to Gregorius. I, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, but John, what's your, what's your vibe on that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of ironic since <laughs> they were bad. It was all about um, good hitting, horrible pitching. And, and I guess 87 losses are still bad, but they definitely seemed closer to a 500 team than that. Um, and it was really behind us, really good pitching and and not good hitting um so yeah i think clearly the offense is going to be the focus maybe supplement the bullpen a little bit i think gregorius would be a great fit for them i mean outside of yankee stadium there's not a better right field to to hook home runs and two for a lefty and um yeah they've got freddie galvis probably locked in at one of those middle infield spots but yeah, I could definitely see them signing someone like Gregorius, moving Galvis over to second, and, and jettisoning Jose Peraza one way or another. But, yeah, I mean, it would give them a really good offensive core with, you know, even if it's kind of a declining Joey Votto, he's still a guy that pitchers probably don't really enjoy facing. Right. And then Suarez and, and Aquino, who, you know, is not going to be as good as his August, but is probably not going to be as bad as his September. So if you can get, you know, an 800-ish OPS out of him and, you know, 30-plus home runs, I think you'll be happy. And then, you know, Nick Senzel should keep making strides forward. So, yeah, I mean, I think if they just supplement the offense, I think they could really take everyone by surprise. I, for one, expect Aquino to keep doing what he was doing in August. I mean, <laughs> he should be able to hit about Man, 75, was, 80 dingers. That was crazy. That was, what a, that was fun. That was what a stretch. That, that was probably my favorite little stretch outside of when Acuna really got hot. 
uh, Homer alert, but it, he, he, when he came up and just started, I mean, he would hit them so hard. It was, it was it, yeah, you could write a novel. Yeah. You, you could, there, there, you could read a Harry Potter novel from cover to cover <laughs> by the time those balls landed. It was, it was incredible. And, and then in the whole time you're, it's on this backdrop of, you know, the team in general, like Sonny Gray, Come on, man! Like who? This was the same Sunny Gray and the like. One of those pitcher-friendly parks in the American League, you know, traded away, just fell to pieces in New York, and then of all places, finds his groove in Cincinnati, the Great American Small Park. I, yeah. it, it made the Red season last year made no sense to me. It, they, they were a total conundrum. It was a weird one, man. I, Aquino had the third most home runs on the team behind, well, Eugenio Suarez hit, uh, what, 7,000? Right, mean, that's all he does. 40, that's 49. all the man He's does. He's just getting better. Um, but uh, Yasiel Puig was second on that list, right? And he ended up in Cleveland. So, <laughs> and then Aquino, out of nowhere, pulls off 19 dingers last year and then yeah, struggled his way out the rest of the year. But he was third in the on the team. Um, I mean, it just kind of shows you where where the offense was at for being the great American small park, you know, it's it, 19 dingers from a guy that didn't show up till August. It's the third most on the squad. Yeah. Yeah. Can, that just tells you how underperformed it was on the offensive side, which we're just not used to out of Cincinnati. It's, it's not something that's been their Achilles heel. Like we said earlier, it's always been pitching and then all of a sudden pitching shows up and it's at the same time and it's just flip flopped. Now, John, you have a pretty good. I get the feeling you have a pretty good pulse on on in terms of payroll for the Reds. What do you um, do? You think this is a team that could you know take their their strength from from this past season and augment it with another like not a Tehran, obviously, but somebody like like Wade Miley has a career one uh, home run per nine. Is this is that somebody you think that would be a fit in a park like that? Yeah, I think teams will try to augment weaknesses before, or not augment weaknesses, try to make their weaknesses better before trying to augment strengths. That being said, you know, if if a guy like Wade Miley with a really good ground ball rate falls into their laps, then, you know, that's what they're going to do. That being said, you know, with their payroll, they're at 120 million right now. They were at 132 at the end of 2019. Um, this is before they almost definitely non-tender Kevin Gosman, who's who would get about eleven million through arbitration. Maybe Peraza, who would get about four million. Um, and and they've said that their payroll should go up beyond last season. So I mean, you figure that they've got at least twenty-five, thirty, maybe forty plus million dollars to work with. So. You know, they're not going to sink that into Rendon or Cole or Strasburg. But, yeah, I think they could be dark horses to even get Wheeler to uh, to augment their already really good rotation or Bumgarner to augment their already really good rotation. But I think ultimately their focus is going to be making sure their off-season, uh, offense is at least um, above average. And I think that, as, as I said, a guy like D.D. Gregorius would be really good for them, as would an Ozuna or a Castellanos or, or um, a Moustakis if they if they really believe that he can play second base, someone like that. Is, is there anyone outside of the Brewers front office who thinks he can really play second base? 
<laughs> you know, if if you shift them well enough. Yeah, wow. it's true. Yeah. Um, now, what's interesting to me? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this was an offense that was not just not just worse than the Pirates, but notably worse. Um, this isn't. A, this is a bottom five in all the base. Bottom four in all of baseball for how anemic this was. Uh, so, I mean, and now I guess they're good. They could hope for some bounce back from Jesse Winker. They could hope for some bounce back from Joey Votto, maybe, but, um, ultimately I kind of feel like I agree with you. I think this team really over, I can't even say they overachieved it. Like it made their record did not match their performance. And uh, so I, I could see this being a, a greatly improved team and, there may be a lot of people that are surprised, but I, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me to see this team, given the landscape of the division, really in the thick of it mid-September for the winning of the division, for the, for the division title. I think the division leaves it open for them to have a chance at it. I don't know if they're quite to that point yet. It seems to me like this team, you know, can build around what they've got coming up probably in 2021, better than they can in 2020. Um, with somebody like a hunter green coming around but uh yeah i mean this it seems like the division sets up that hey, it's anything's possible as right. long as you can put enough pieces together um mm-hmm. 91 wins was enough to take this division last year and i wouldn't say that it looks like it's going to be much more than that to get it again this year yep i i agree with you so we'll have to see how that pans out and uh speaking of all right, we got to do it. We got to talk about the Pirates. We, we, we got to, you know, again, just like the Marlins, if we don't, we just have, Jim, we just got no integrity on this program. Um, uh, they need everything. Um, their front office is kind of a mess. Their starters are not terrible, you know. I could see Chris Archer, like, making some kind of progress. Um, it, it, John, tell me what you, it, my theory with the Pirates this year is that they're going to look at guys like, say, Alex Wood as a one-year, give them a one-year deal, and then just try to profit in the prospect, you know, profit with prospects if he does well, and then they trade him to a contender. Yeah, I think that that's going to be the game plan. They've got talent on the roster um, about as much as you can have in a 93-loss team with um, – Josh Bell and Starling Marte and Brian Reynolds, um, but but and, and Kevin Newman, I would add to that Adam Frazier, um, but but all that talent is really just concentrated on the offensive side, and the pitching is just not good. You know, even if you buy that maybe Chris Archer bounces back, maybe Joe Musgrove gets a little bit better, maybe Trevor Williams and, and Mitch Keller contribute, um, the pitching just isn't good. So I think that they should definitely shop in the kind of bargain bin of, of bounce back candidates. Alex Wood um, is a good one. Um, if Rich Hill were willing to go to Pittsburgh, I doubt he is. I think he's looking only to go back to the Dodgers or maybe to Boston. Um, you know, Brett Anderson, Michael Waka, Drew Smiley, someone in there um, to just kind of sign and flip kind of thing at the deadline if they pitch well enough. Um I don't think they're going to necessarily tear it down completely, but I would be pretty surprised if Starling Marte, for example, is with them on opening day, yeah. um, considering the dearth of 
free agent options on um, in, in the center field. Sure. Uh, Jim yeah, it seems like a seems like a team that should be full rebuild. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of structural problems on that roster. Um, and there's a, there's a lot more than it, it's it's just not even it's just not even worth diving into. I'm just I'm just being honest. My opinion is like, are, are we really going to dive into whether Chris Archer can pitch it to an ERA under four? Uh, is Joe Musgrove going to even out his performance? I don't I don't know. I think it's it's worth watching, but it's not it's it's just not a very interesting team uh, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, all right, so that that puts a I mean that puts a bow on the NL Central for me. Uh, all right, one word answer again, Jim. Who wins the NL Central next year? Oh man. Oh yeah, you know you must give me the Cardinals. I mean, it just seems like if anybody's got the pieces in position already, it's going to be the Cardinals for this division. Who who you got, John? Yeah, I'll take the Cardinals. You know, even if they don't do much, I don't know if the Brewers or Cubs are going to do much either. But, you know, ultimately there's a lot of room for variance. So, you know, none of those three teams would surprise me. I know it's kind of a cop-out answer. But. Right. Now, you know what? Y'all are gonna, you, you all will rue this day when I pick the Cincinnati Reds to win the NL Central. And Avrugati's going to think I'm crazy, and, I, and, and uh, I'm fine with that. But I, I'm I'm gonna do it. I feel you like should, the the numbers even themselves out, and they just they just take it down with a whopping 92 wins next year. <laughs> you should you should take a trip to Cincinnati in like late February or something like that, and go down there and just feel what heartbreak feels like, and then come back and say that again. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to go to Cincinnati in February. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to come back, and Jim's going to blast us with the uh, stat spotlight. We'll be right back. And we're back with, and uh, as still with us is John Becker from Roster Resource and uh, Jim. It's Stat Spotlight time, my dude. Let's talk. Well, you've hit my favorite section of the podcast because I get the talking. So, um, <laughs> so just like we did last week with the NL East and and uh, McAlpin, we're gonna do a little bit of trivia. We're gonna focus on the NL Central, obviously, for this trivia because that's what we've been talking about. Let's do it. And uh, nothing to do with the uh, banging on garbage cans. All right. All right. So basically, everything around the NL Central. So you got a one in five shot to get these answers right. I will ask you some probably five trivia questions today, and let's start with let's start with John since he's the guest and and Adam's always here. That's so, true. I am always here. Now, out of the five teams in the NL Central, which of those five teams had the highest batting average in 2019? John, I will go with the Pirates. Adam. I'll take um, I'll take the Cubs on that one. 
You guys got the one and two. The Pirates did have the highest batting average in the NL Central. <laughs> I would it, not have guessed that. They were ridiculous. They uh, they led the National League in singles. Uh, they were second in doubles, third in triples, and second to last in home runs. They wow. were not very good OPS or slugging-wise, which just goes to show you that batting average is uh, just not what it used to be, and it might not have ever been what it should have been. There you, you go, know? Jim. But, yeah, go Pirates. So uh, mark one down for John. All right, next one. Who was the worst team in Major League Baseball in 2019 at getting a runner home from third base with less than two outs? Go ahead, Adam. Uh, I, will take the, I will take the Cincinnati Reds. I will take the Cubs only because I feel like I watched enough Cubs game for the Cubs game for them to be terrible. <laughs> Feels like that would be the disappointment, right? Uh, this one actually belongs to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, oh, wow. They were the worst team in Major League Baseball with runner on third base with less than two outs and getting that runner home. Only 44% of the time were they able to get that runner home. Less than out half. Toronto. Yeah, Toronto Blue Jays were next on that list, but 29th place. The Rays were right above them, and the Red Sox right above them. That AL East that's so powerful that everybody always talks about, struggling to get people home from third with less than two outs. Interesting. So I would, yeah. not, I would not have guessed that, to be honest with you. It was an odd one. I, I thought that was something that, that sparked my interest when I saw it. I thought it was something to at least put out there. All right, let's move to a little pitching. You have... Uh, you have a team that 215 times last year, they sent a relief pitcher out, and that relief pitcher did not record three outs. That was the most times in baseball that's happened last year. Can you name that NL Central team? Go ahead, John. Brewers. Oh, I, you see, I, I kind of feel like this is a trick question, and I'm supposed to pick the Brewers because it seems like the obvious answer. But I'm going to say the Chicago Cubs. It was the Cubs. The oh, really? Cubs, yep, 215 times last year they sent out a relief pitcher and uh, couldn't get – I mean, sometimes they weren't even asking him to get three outs, but, you know, that's Madden for you. It's because they um, made stroke bat. That's why. It was 25 more times than the Diamondbacks did it. They were second on that list, so they had them, They had the, the lead pretty good. The fewest in the National League happened to be out of the NL Central also, the Pirates. Pirates were sending their pitchers out there to gather more than three outs every time they were going out there, it seems. So, um, the NL Central, yeah. Go figure, the Cubs. All right. Uh, now, of the NL Central teams, maybe this one's a little bit easier. Uh, which one is currently in the longest drought of not reaching the World Series? Not winning the World Series, but just reaching the World Series. Which one spent the longest time as of this moment? without a trip to the World Series, then that would be Adam. Uh, well, let's see. The last Pirates World Series I can recollect was 1979. The Reds... Oh, sorry, I'm not going to like give away the whole farm here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Brewers, though. I'm going to go with the Brewers. And John? All right, we'll go with... Pirates. 
Yeah, you talked yourself out of it, Adam. Oh. It was 79 Pirates, right? Well, it's obviously not the Cubs. That was 2016. The Cardinals were in the 2013 World Series against the Red Sox that they lost. The 1990 Reds swept the A's. Uh, the Brewers were in 1982. Oh, that's um, right, 82. As an, as an American League team, right? They lost to a now NL Central team, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, that's in the right. World Series. And it's 79, the Pirates... Uh, Defeated the Orioles. Yep. The, we, that was the We Are Family team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Willie Stargell was MVP of that series. I believe that's the case, yes. It's a little bit before uh, your guys' time, and I was about two years old just to date myself. So, yeah, that's uh, it was a while ago. None of us should really remember that. Yeah, no, it's the annals of history. Yeah, exactly. Um, you guys want another one? Yeah, let's do a bonus round. One, one more to break a tie that i don't even know if it exists i think you guys got one piece right so no it's two to two to one john we've got a chance to set up a tie maybe i'm winning i got all the answers right so That's far true. since i since i wrote them down you're a genius um i am total genius all right so this nl central pitching staff led the major leagues in the fewest wild pitches with 35 wild pitches last year basically what one out of every five games they threw a wild pitch which NL Central team led all of Major League Baseball in fewest wild pitches? And that uh, goes for our guest, John. I will go Cardinals, if only because of Yadier Molina. Man, you had to take the easy answer, didn't you? Uh, I will go with the Brewers. I'll go with the Brewers. We just got done bragging about them and how their pitching finally showed up and their hitting did not. It would be the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, wow. Okay. Wouldn't they have led that. the league with just 35 uh, wild pitches. The Dodgers pitching staff that we all know about was second on that list at 40. Milwaukee and Houston had 41, and Cleveland had 42 to round out the top five. Wow. All right. Well, Jim, I feel enlightened. I feel like I know yeah. more about the NL Central than I have ever known. Yeah. <laughs> There's some odd teams in there that did some odd stuff last year, and we ended up with kind of what we deserve for results last year. So yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully the hopefully the NL West will be more exciting next week for for the stat spotlight. Yeah, well, you know, I I think uh, I think overall it'll be one of the more interesting divisions to me, the NL Central. It'll be one of the more interesting ones. Maybe not the most uh, you know glorious, but the most one of the most interesting, I think. Yeah, there's been a little bit of shakeup over there, so yeah. I'm interested in seeing uh, seeing what our guest next week has to say about that. Sure. Uh, well, hey, John, I really appreciate your time, man. I really appreciate you joining us on our, our little endeavor here. Anytime. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a... thank, Thanks for editing my book. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would like to say that I wrote about 98% of that book. Yes, and that and that Jeremy Frank, who is not going to listen to this podcast, wrote the other two percent. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like you were you were really just shouldering a lot of that. Is what you tell me all the time? Yeah. You tell me all yeah. the time how little Jeremy does. Yeah, he was too busy trying to graduate high school at the time. Yeah, I was just tra- dragging him along. So, yeah, and I mean, since I'm really good at, at writing and everything already, I mean, I really made the editing job pretty easy on John too. It's true. It's true. All, yeah. all facts here. We we don't we we only deal in facts here on Romantic about baseball. Well, uh, John, what's your what's your Twitter handle, John? Um, it is at John Becker, J O N B E C K E R underscore. 
and uh, we make sure you you follow John. Uh, some more in, insightful baseball knowledge, and uh, he loves controversial food takes. <laughs> so if you have thoughts on lettuce, don't at me. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can follow me. I'm at at Adam C Mac. Jim uh, is at at Passin Jim. And Romantic About Baseball, you can find us as a team at RMNTC Baseball. So, uh, Jim, say goodbye. Adios. Thanks again, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, John.